0: Hello, you're joining me for episode 256 of the Blended Family Podcast, and today I've got a guest on. She's going to be talking about loss and finding new love after, so we'll get to that in a minute. Hope you guys had a good Valentine's Day, whatever you did. Um, We didn't do anything special as far as with us as a couple, but we did go visit my niece who is in town in Florida from New York visiting, going to Disney. So we went and we spent some time with her over at the pool there. And I tell you, I haven't really seen her in some years. And kids grow so fast. She's already eight. And I remember she, you know, she was at my wedding. That was almost five years ago already. For those of you who have been listening for that long, you'll remember when we got married. And so anyway, it was just a really nice day being with her and it's just a reminder that we need to savor every moment you know as in the case of my guest today we never know what tomorrow holds and so i just encourage you and especially after the year that we've had this year i just encourage you to take time with your family and your loved ones tell them how you feel and you know, try to spend that time because we really don't know. Now last week we spoke with Richard Capriola who was a childhood addiction specialist and that was a really good show with lots of information. So if you have a child or teenager that you suspect is um, using drugs or has any kind of addictive behavior, that's a really good show to go back and listen to. And uh, I only ask that you please share the show subscribe to the show please review it on itunes all of that helps me as well as join the mailing list at blendedfamilypodcast.com slash subscribe that way you can be the first to know if I have any information to give you as well as I am looking for new social media platform. And so if I do move, I want you to know where I'm going, I need to have a way of getting a hold of you. So please make sure you join the mailing list, Um, as well as when we do giveaways, which I'm getting ready to start those back up again, the monthly giveaways. And when we do those, everybody who is a member of my list is automatically entered into win. So make sure you do that. And then as a reminder, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a Teenage Perspective show, meaning we're going to have a two-part series. The first part, we're going to be talking to the parents about your teenagers and what they're thinking and feeling so you can have some insight into their brain, which is a really hard thing to do with teenagers. And then the second part of that is going to be a show where we're going to be speaking directly to your teenager, where you can pass the show along to them. And we're going to be helping them with some of the feelings and challenges that they might be experiencing in the blended family. So if you have any questions on behalf of yourself or your teenager for that show, please send them to me right away. We're getting ready to record that really soon as you hear this. So just send that to Melissa at blendedfamilypodcast.com. And that is all for today. I hope that you really enjoy this interview with my guest Eileen right after you listen to this short ad from this week's sponsor. Enjoy. Living the Good Life Naturally is a self-care company focusing on magnesium. Statistics show that up to 50% of the U.S. population is magnesium deficient, which can cause a multitude of health issues, including headaches, muscle cramps, seizures, hair loss, and more. Kristen Bowen, founder, created the company out of her own personal health struggles. So she really cares and she has a mission to help others achieve optimal health. I myself am a huge believer in these products and I use them on a daily basis. It's been especially helpful for my anxiety and my pain. Try the magnesium soak, the magnesium spray, or the delectable bath bombs for an extra treat and check out the website to see the entire product line and learn more at livingthegoodlifenaturally.com or you can go back and listen to episode number 237 when Kristen was on this show. Don't forget to use my promo code BLENDED to receive a special discount. Order today and get your health back. Reality, as Eileen Robertson Hammer perceived it, instantaneously altered the moment authorities confirmed that the plane her husband was piloting had crashed and he had not survived. In the process of mourning her loss, with three young children in tow, where Eileen wandered and landed was nothing short of miraculous. Between the valleys of grief and the peaks of hope, she discovered that keeping promises to those who have left this world is a lifelong act, and honoring one love does not mean foregoing the freedom and joy that is found in reopening your heart, trusting in new love, and expanding your definition of family. Her book, Time to Fly, shares her story, her insights, and more. So welcome to the show, Eileen.
1: Thank you, Melissa.
0: I'm so thankful that you're here today to share your story, Although it's tragic and perhaps unlike some other stories that we hear on the show, but you teach people how to move through trauma with such grace, and many of my listeners are on second and third marriages, and many due to the fact that they lost a partner to death and not divorce, which looks and feels completely different. So today, by sharing your story, I'm really hoping that you can bring some healing to those blended families who have suffered a great loss like you have, I I will tell you that I really teared up while reading the first chapter of your book because Eileen, I can't even imagine how you got through just that first day, let alone the rest of the days that followed after. So I'd love it if you could just describe a little bit to my listeners of what actually happened on the day that you lost your husband.
1: Yeah, so it was December 22nd of 2011, uh, three days before Christmas. Um, we were living in California, and my family and Brian's family all live back east. So uh, the kids and I flew commercially, flew home early to see friends, and my uh, Brian was wrapping things up, and he um, flew our plane. Uh, he was a private pilot uh, by passion, not necessarily by a job. And so he flew it uh, back east to greet us and meet us and had all the Santa Claus presents in the plane. And unfortunately, his right engine failed right before landing and he um, didn't make it. So yeah, that's that's where the tragedy begins, unfortunately. the My kids at the time were four, seven, and eight. Um, and... Yeah, that's, that's what happened. Oh, is there anything specific you want me to share about that? Or No,
0: I mean, obviously, there's no words to even describe what you went through. And that's why I said I got very emotional even just reading about your emotions that day. I, I can't even imagine it being you know, right before Christmas, which is supposed to be a very magical time for you and the kids and having to face something like that. Um, And I know that you also lost your sister tragically as well years before. So this was not your first run in. So tell us about that a little bit as well.
1: Yeah. So that happened um, in 93. So I was, I was much younger. I was 41 when Brian passed and I was 23 when my sister passed. And, um, unfortunately she had a heart condition that she was taking some medications and they counteracted. Um, and she was in college and, you know, didn't feel well, went to the hospital the night um, she passed and they checked her heart and said it was fine. She went home, went to ate some ice cream, went to sleep and never woke up. And, um, yeah, both, both of the experiences, um, were these just shocking, like out of the blue, not expected. And both of them, and especially for, with Brian, it was like, you know, that whole experience of shock, like, is this really happening? This cannot be my life. This, 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 this doesn't make any sense. This um, is not what I planned, Um, you know, a complete feeling of loss of control or order and um, really having to, to pause and, and regroup and figure out what's next. Yeah. They were both pretty awful.
0: Yeah. Now your dad, he'd had been through that with your sister. So he had already experienced some of this and I know he was a great support for you, but you also had an incredible support system all around. And I want you to share a little bit about that, Eileen, because I know that you had, um, some synchronicities and some signs from the universe and, People that were rallying around you, which is such a beautiful thing. So I'd love for you to just talk about that a little bit.
1: Sure. Um, so it started immediately. So the the day after the um, the plane crash, my brother and my dad went out to the airport uh, to get the Christmas gifts because they were he crashed just two, two miles from the airport. And, um, so they went out to the crash scene and while they were there and gathering the gifts, this gentleman, um, said to my brother, like, Hey, you know, this funeral director, Al Cooner wants to talk to your sister. Can you give him this number and have her call? And when he came home and I was like, that's kind of odd. Like, we had already started making plans. It's kind of unusual for a funeral director to reach out, you know. And so, I, but my brother was like, you should call him. You should just call him. So I called him and he said to me, Eileen, I'm a pilot and I landed a half an hour before Brian was supposed to land and I heard him in the pattern, you know, over the radio. And I have the funeral home that's right down the street from your parents. And I want to take care of all of the funeral expenses. And I was like, oh my gosh. So of course I generously accepted his offer. And um, Brian and I were spiritual, but not particularly religious and I grew up Catholic. So my parents were like, you know, we can have it at the Catholic church here. And we, we knew, even though we were from California, I grew up back East and Brian's family was there. So we knew we would have a ceremony there. So we're trying to figure out what we're going to do. Like, you know, it's quite in shock and trying to figure this out. And anyway, long story short, he said to me, you know, you have to just go and do Christmas and after Christmas we'll, we'll plan a ceremony for him. And I wanted to have a celebration of life and, the day after Christmas, like we, we connect and he's like, well, have you ever heard of the Baltimore museum of industry? It's a business museum on the water in Baltimore, just close to where my parents were. And it has a twin engine plane hanging from the ceiling. And it was like the perfect memorial space. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know that business museum existed. And Brian was a serial entrepreneur. He was involved in the solar energy industry when he passed. And I was like, so now I have a pilot funeral director and a, um, a memorial space that's a business museum with a plane hanging from the ceiling. And it just kind of felt like I was absolutely being taken care of and also feeling like, Brian, are you planning this thing for me? <laughs> and, and also in a way, like, how could this be happening? Right. Like all of it all together. And so those were like you know, I want to say like strangers coming in and supporting me and there were many other strangers that would come in and and support me. But, and then there was my, thank God I have an amazingly supportive family, my siblings, Brian's family, everybody, um, you know, even in their own pain, you know, were there for us. And, um, And so when we moved and including the entire community, when we went back to California, I don't think I made a meal (laughs) um, on my own for probably months at a time Um, between the kids schools and soccer teams and dance studio. Like it was an outpouring of support and it was necessary. And I'm grateful for sure for all of that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, you speak about gratitude. And I can imagine that some people would think, my gosh, how could anyone have any gratitude when they just suffered a loss such as you did? But you learned to find that gratitude um, partially in being thankful for what was coming towards you from other people. But I just think that it's something very difficult for a lot of people to live by. So I know it was difficult for you. So I just want to know if you could talk to us a little bit about how to find gratitude when you're going through one of the worst experiences of your life. Um, Some people can't even find it when things are going good in their life. So how did you find the gratitude? How did you hold on to it? Um, And tell us how it really helped you on your journey forward.
1: Yeah. So um, I love that question. So what was really interesting for me when even in those first few months and especially in the, even in the first few weeks when we were, and we ended up having a couple of three actually memorial services, but one back East. And then when we got back to Huntington beach, we had one there. And what I was really present to was like everyone that reached out during that time was reaching out with love. Um, And so I think partly because I was so devastated that I, I could, I I I talk about like, I could only be in the moment. I know that sounds really weird, but like when I would start thinking about the past and thinking about all the memories of Brian, I would like lose myself. Like I was like, okay, well, I don't want to think about that right now. And if I started thinking about the future (laughs) and all the time I was going to have in the future without him, then I would also lose it. So for me, honestly, the most comfortable place to be was, whatever was happening in the moment and what I was present to, which maybe sounds weird or odd, but was so much love. Like, and, and I know this also sounds maybe odd, but it's, it's often when you do experience these, um these heartbreaking tragedies is also when there is so much love present. Right. So, and, and this may also sound odd, but I also felt like Brian was still loving me which is, um, and, and taking care. And, um, I share more about that in the book and just, we don't have time to get into all of it, but anyway, so there was all that. Um, and then, so being present to the love that was present, which, which was always a good place to start for gratitude, but also I, I think a lot of times people forget or don't recognize that they actually have no control over what just happened, right? Like I, and I can't change it and I can't fix it and I can't make it better. And I can't, like, I could not bring him back to life no matter how hard I tried or which way I, you know, would want to. And so really accepting like, you know, like that therapeutic thing, like radical acceptance, right? So like if, there's radical acceptance of what is so like, what is, what are the facts? And then, um, I, I just chose to take, like, this is not happening to me. This is happening for me. And that two and the four and just switching that perspective, um, is really useful. And I felt like, okay, well, this is for my growth, for my experience, for my compassion and, And, you know, until we experience something like that, you don't, you know, you don't necessarily have the perspective of, of what it will be like. And so, and I didn't. And so going through it, I just kept looking for, okay, if this is happening for me, what, what can I get, you know, how can I grow from this experience. And part of that is being, and I was grateful. I, I did grow. I grew a ton, <laughs> uh, whether I wanted to or not. And I had a lot of room to grow. Um, so yeah, I am grateful for that experience.
0: That's a wonderful answer. I don't think there's anything weird about that at all, um, about anything that you said, because I'm a very spiritual person. Um, And so I think that's wonderful. And the whole thing about being in the present moment, there's a saying that I always remember, um, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery. Today is the present. That's why we call it a gift. And yeah. so I think you being in the present moment is probably the only way you were able to get through that. And I totally understand why. And so that is a very big gift that you just taught all of us is staying in the present moment, even even in tragedy. and um, you know, I'm just so impressed with the head on your shoulders to be able to find the gratitude in an experience like that really teaches us, all a lot. Um, one of the things that I love about your dad, um, and by the way, I lost my dad, he was only 58, and so I miss him a lot, and so I loved this because you had a lot of emotions, and which is totally normal, But what he said to you was, when you're sad, be sad, and when you're okay, be okay. And I know after a loss, people put a lot of pressure on themselves to feel a certain way when they shouldn't. And so I'd love for you to talk about that and the barrage of emotions that you feel after a loss and how to cope with that and be okay with that.
1: Yeah, my dad is amazing Uh, and was my whole family is, but he, yeah, he definitely was a special part of my healing, probably because of what he had experienced as well. So that when he said that, which is really interesting, and this is kind of a it's a heavy story part of the story, but um is actually in the funeral home. And I uh Al Cooner took me in to see Brian's body and I remember walking in and I like, you talk about, I had never been more nervous in my life for anything, like just wanting to puke. Like, you know, even now thinking about it, I'm like, my hands are starting to sweat, right? Like, it's like this incredibly awful, you know, and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I, I practiced yoga. So I was like, oh my God, I am not breathing. I like, you have got to start breathing. And so I just, that's what I said to myself. And I just started breathing. Whew you know, and I just started taking these really deep breaths and we walked in and we walked up to the side of the casket. And it was so clear to me that Brian's energy had just been released from his body. And it was, I was like, Oh my God, how did I forget that we are spirits living a human experience? And it was, he was at peace and I was at peace. And, um, I just felt this immense love and I said to him, I was like, okay, you take it from that side. I'll take it from this side. Like we've got this. And, um, yeah. So this overwhelming sense of love. And then, so then I go back to my dad and I was like, Oh my God, dad, like, I'm okay. And I was like, I don't think I should be okay right now. Like, uh, you know, I, I didn't know how to be. He's like, I mean, if you're okay, be okay. And if you're, when you're not okay, it is okay to not be okay, but don't try to figure it out. And I'm anyway, so that's where he said that. And I, you know, took that on. It's like, when you're okay, be okay. And when you're sad, be sad. And when you're happy, be happy. And I think that's one of the harder things, unfortunately, when you lose someone during tragedy is to actually be happy again, because you feel like you shouldn't be. Right. Like it's okay to be, um, it's okay to be okay. But to like truly start experiencing joy again, um, that is even it sounds, you know, maybe like why would I, anyone who's experienced it gets it, but it's like, yeah, it's hard. Cause you feel like, Oh, maybe I'm being disrespectful or mm-hmm. it might mean something about the love that I had for, Brian, if I am enjoying, you know, my life now, like, you know, and so there's a lot to deal with and a lot of um, preconceived notions and fears of judgment and all of that. But to just go back to what's true for yourself and when you're joyful, be joyful and, and it's okay. (laughs) So.
0: Yeah, that's such wonderful advice because the sun does shine again and that's not to minimize anybody's pain, but we do have to learn how to live. And you are a mom. And so I want to talk about that because dealing with what you went through on its own would be incredibly difficult, but you have children now. So when tragedy strikes and you're a mom or dad, you've got children who depend on you to keep it together. You've got to be Okay, and so I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how you were able to be a functioning mom for your kids when you were dealing with such tremendous pain yourself. How did you? How do you even do that?
1: Well, for me, partly was I, I definitely one hundred percent reached out for help. So I, you know, reached out to a therapist. I um, eventually re- reached out to like coaches that would help me create a new life, right? Like, because I was like the life that I had dreamed and imagined was no longer possible. So what is this new life that I'm going to live going to work? How's that going to work? So I got support there um, and allowed people to support me. Like I said, I didn't make meals for months. Um, And then I also, though, had this like sort of just instinct inside myself that I was like, you know, after a, you know, a few weeks of just be feeling like you're pummeled, right. You feel like you've been hit by a bus. I was like, I, I cannot live like this for very long. <laughs> and I was like, I have got to find a way out. Like I have got to like find a way back. And, and you know, this is so cliche. And everyone says, it says like, and Brian would never want, he was like so happy. Like he would never want me or the kids to live a miserable life. So like, I didn't know how, but I was like, we're going to figure that out because I cannot stay here. Um, And so, yeah, I just did a lot of work and did a lot of that growing, um, yeah, through support.
0: Yeah. Well, you must be an incredibly strong person. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about the kids because we we know about your journey and I'm so glad that you reached out for help. But we also know that they were struggling in their own way. They lost their dad right yeah. before Christmas. So that must've been incredibly painful for them as well. And they were very young at the time. So I'm sure they each had a different coping mechanism for themselves, but how did you pull them through it? And also do you have tips for any parents who are trying to help their child through the loss of a parent? Because I know that's it's really hard.
1: Yeah. So that's another great question. Cause I think the biggest thing that I did not realize um, about grieving for myself, but especially for the children is that grieving moves through time and space, right? So the children were four, seven, and eight. Um, You know, Max was four, Brooke and Melanie were seven and eight. And um, they grieved as a four, seven, and eight year old would grieve. And you Max didn't really have a sense of, you know, they don't know much. So like he didn't get it at all. Right. And so it was, but it keeps, as they grow, as they mature, as they have new capacities to like have an imagination and understand, you know, finality or, you know, reach puberty and all these like milestone experiences um, in their growth, they actually have to reprocess, you um, you know, losing their dad again, and for example, like Brooke and Melanie are juniors and seniors in high school now, and they're thinking about college, and they're thinking about what they're going to do in their careers now, and all of that, and so they're like, "Gosh, I, you know, it's been nine years, but I really wish I could ask him what he would say," you know, and um, you know, part of my story, and a good part of my story is I, like, I'm remarried and uh, I've had another baby, and. When um, I had the, we added to our family, the four-year-old at the time, he was nine, right? So it was five years later. And he didn't really understood what he lost until I had Zach. And so now he's like, oh, wait a minute. That's a real dad with a real father. And even though I have been wanting to call Mike dad, he went through his own, you know, grieving and what was sad and, and, but also interesting was like, you know, not all of us were grieving at the same time. So in his mind as a nine-year-old, he's finally seeing what he lost because he couldn't comprehend before that. But then we're not all at that same spot with him in our grief. So he's like, don't you guys care about him? You know, like, why are you guys okay? I'm not okay over here. And so I would say to any parent who's or caregiver that is dealing with um, especially children, but really any human, but especially children um, that to be able to just know that um, you know it keeps it keeps coming it's not always awful but um, I think when you know to expect it, I, I was kind of surprised the first few times it came. <laughs> and now I'm like, okay, yeah. So when they graduate from high school and they graduate from college, and then they have their first your boyfriends and get married or whatever they do, um, they'll have to deal with it and uh, reprocess it. And anyway... I could go on and on. But, you
0: know. oh, that's, that's really interesting, Eileen. And I'm glad that you said that for people that maybe didn't know that that was going to happen and then are suddenly met with new challenge after new challenge. It, it really does make a lot of sense. And I guess you just need to meet everybody where they're at yeah. um, because that that's you know true. Everybody kind of grieves at their own, at their own spots. And so um, you were able to find love again. And I think that that in itself is so beautiful, especially after all of the pain that you went through. And so I want you to share that story as well, because I want people to know that there is always hope after loss. So tell us a little bit about how you met your new husband and a little bit about your love story.
1: Yeah. Okay. I wanted to add one thing to that last answer though, and because I was just thinking the other big thing is don't try to fix them. Don't try to fix their grief, like allow them to have their grief journeys, Um, support them, get, do whatever you need to do. But I've, I've tried and failed to try to fix my kids um, sadness time and time again. And I probably will keep trying to fix it because it's hard to watch your kids be sad. So anyway, I just wanted to thank
0: you. Yeah. Thank you for uh,
1: that. In. Um, but okay. So then the fun part, so, um, and I completely believe that Brian set us up so you can read more about that in my, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. So I met Mike through an executive business coach that Brian had used for his company and Mike, my now husband had used for his company. And he was one of those people that I reached out to when I was like, what the hell am I going to do with my life now? And, um, when I was, ready not ready really but he was like I said damn I'm starting to think about meeting someone he's like oh I've got the guy for you and I was like oh my gosh so I looked him up on the internet you know I googled him he's it was very attractive I was like oh okay so we met um so anyway we he introduced the idea of him to me about 15, 16 months after Brian passed. And then I finally met him about 18 months after. And I knew right away, I was like, like a middle school girl, Um, tons of attraction. Uh, We were, nothing happened though, because he he was actually in a a different relationship, which we knew was kind of like going to stop. So I waited patiently for him to complete that relationship. And yeah. And then we started dating and um, you know, it's kind of like a fairy tale. Like it's, it's, it has an amazing ending, but it like all fairy tales, it was like, not, (laughs) it was not that easy as most people, most of your listeners will completely get, Um, you know, it's a blended family. We're trying to pull three families all together here. And um, although it's beautiful and amazing and full of love, it was also awkward and, you know, sometimes painful and sad. So, yeah, but Mike's a great guy and uh, we're very blessed to have also um, brought a new baby into the picture, which is often what people think about my, when they hear my story, they're like, because I had him at 46 um, and I did have to go through IVF, but he's our kid and people are like, oh my gosh, like that's usually like the... I can't believe you did that, um, you know, piece of the story. Yeah. So that's how
0: it went. Well, a lot of my blended families talk about, I I didn't have this experience because coming into my relationship, we had two and two and we didn't have any hours babies. We, We had enough with the four and our circumstances, but a lot of families do tell me that, when they add that hours child, it's kind of like a glue that binds everybody together. And I want to talk about that with your family. Um, When you added that child into your family, has it shifted the family dynamic? Um, Tell me about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely did. And I think that was the reason I opened myself up to the possibility of having another child such, you know, late in my years um, is because of that possibility of creating, not creating something new and not fixing anything. Because I think a lot of times I, back to that, trying to fix it, it's like, there's no fixing, you know, Brian's death and um there's no fixing that family that was broken but in creating zach it really did create our family and um it's so interesting um when the kids came to the hospital to meet zach melanie i think was 14 i think broke 13 and i don't know i don't know 13 12 and 9 or something like that anyway um And Melanie held him, she's our oldest, and she did not want to leave the hospital when visiting hours Mm. were over. And she looked at me, she's like, oh my God, mom, I had no idea I was going to love him this much. Mm. And it just, yeah, none of the kids um, had any idea what what having Zach would be like, because they were all very little when their sibling, you know, they were... I had the three of them within four and a half years. So they were all little together. And then to be able to have a bit of perspective, but then have this baby in their life and they, um, they love him. They do. And it's funny because, and I'm sure your, your, um, listeners will understand this. Like I had this fantasy though that like they're so much older that they would be, um, you know, just really protective and loving. And, you know, the first time they like started fighting or like teasing each other, I was like, I have like a 14 year old and a three year old like fighting with each other. (laughs) And it's interesting. It doesn't, um, it really doesn't matter, you know, like, uh, yeah, it's cute. It's cute. So they're, they're, they're good. They're just like brothers and sisters. Um, It's good.
0: Well, that's amazing. I want to go backwards just a little bit from before Zach arrived, the new baby, um, and talk about how were the kids, before even the thought of the baby, how were the kids with your new relationship? Because I can imagine that kids can be much more resistant to a new step-parent after a loss as opposed to just a divorce. And so how did you navigate that? And how did the kids' feelings affect your new relationship?
1: That's another great question. Um, sometimes I reflect and think I kind of got that. I, I kind of, we, we met Mike sort of at a really good time in their development because Melanie was in fifth grade, Brooke was in fourth, and Max was, I think, kindergarten. So they were still young enough. Um, and they were very, I would say, um, they really wanted a father. Like especially Max, he really wanted a father figure. Like he, his sense of security um, after losing Brian, even though he was safe, like there were, we weren't in any danger, thank God, financially or physically. But as a child, right, like the father is very much the protector, and so you know, I right away he was like, Mom, you either need to go buy a gun or find a new dad. I was like, whoa, okay, hold on. So he, I think, was most anxious for me to meet someone. Um, and he was even looking out for us. Like, hey, how about that one? If was like, see like some cool rock and roll star looking guy. he would be like, how about that one? So, um, and the girls, you know, were, it was kind of like this, Brooke was right in the middle. Like, I'm not so sure, but I want one. And Melanie was like, you can date mom, so you're not miserable, but I don't need another dad. Like that's kind of how it was. And so, um, I think introducing them, I, we dated for quite a while before I introduced probably like four or five months. And I talked even before, even before I even knew about Mike, you know, when I felt comfortable I talked about the possibility. I was like, what would it be like? What would you think? You know, how, are? how would you feel if I went on a date? How would you feel, you know, if I met someone? And so I checked in with them a lot about that. And so, and then I told them about Mike and eventually they were like, okay, we want to meet him. Like you keep talking to, about him. You keep going to on dates with him. Like we want to meet him. We're ready to meet him. There's. And so um, and they trusted me and, um, it was cute when, when Zap Max, um, so we were, it was actually a long distance relationship. It's a long story, but, um, we went to go pick him up at the airport and Max was like, Oh, we're going to go pick up my new dad. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, if you say that when Mike gets in the car, I'm like, he's going to like turn right around. And, um, I was like, you don't know that. He's like, Oh yes, I do. That's our new dad. We're going to go pick him up. He's going to come back and he's going to marry you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, please, please. And um, I was like, please, Max, you don't know that. And he's like, all right, well, if you if, if he's not the one, you'll keep looking and looking until you find one. And so anyway, that first weekend that he met the kids was amazing. Like they were all over him. It was kind of shocking. I did not know what to expect. But I do feel like that they were anxious for that, for a, a man in our, in our house again. And, but after he left, I think we all, again, similar to that gr- grieving moving, it was like, Oh my God, it reminded us of what we had been missing. So we had to, you know, kind of like, Oh God, like we miss Brian more and we're excited about Mike. And I think that's one of those um things that, I didn't know how to do, or I hadn't had a lot of experience, uh, processing. It's like, well, how can I hold this pain and this joy at the same time? And, um, you get pretty good at doing that if, if you keep going for it. So, um, yeah. And so it was a roller coaster. Um, and I'll, I'll finish up. I'm sorry. I'm kind of babbling, but Melanie at our wedding rehearsal got up and spoke to the entire crowd. I had no idea what she was going to say, but she said, Hey mom, I want to say something. And she said at the wedding, she's like, I could, I could give a, I could say a lot tonight, but tonight I want to, this toast is to Mike. And she said, Mike, I just want to tell you that when, you know, when my mom started dating you, I was, um, I was not interested. I was not interested in having a new dad it was but over the last few years and getting to know you and, um, you are not like other adults. You actually care about me. You care about what we say. You care about our all of us. And I am so happy that you are going to be our father figure. And I know my dad would approve. Wow. And there was not a draw. I, I'm i just crying now, even remembering yeah. that. And um, yeah, from not interested to, I know my dad would approve. It was wow. Pretty pointed.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. And it's so many feelings and so normal for all of them to kind of see this tragedy in a little bit of a different way and grieve their own way and move on their own way. Let's talk about Mike for just a minute because this is another challenge I think that comes up in new relationships after a death is that. There's a big difference in how that person's viewed, meaning after a divorce, there can be anger or loss of love. Yeah. After a death, there's no loss of love and there can be deep sorrow and yearning for that person, even as you move on, um, as well as a need to keep that person's memory alive for you and for the kids. So my question is, how did Mike deal with that and was it difficult for him and how did he move through that experience?
1: Um, so he seemed to move it through beautifully. And I know it wasn't always easy. I think the um, two things about that, I think for him, one, the hardest thing for him to give up was that I wasn't the fairy tale that he imagined for his life. Right. Cause he is, he was single. He had never been married. He had no children. And he's like, so I'm, I'm supposed to be marrying a or I'm gonna marry a widow with three children. Like this is how my my love <laughs> is turning out. And um that was not, you know, not what he had dreamed. And yet we fell in love. And um, and then as far as embracing um uh, my relationship with Brian and the kids' relationship with Brian, I think from for, and this is, I don't know why he did this, or I know why he did this, but he was really grateful to Brian because, you know, Mike was 42 when we met. And I think in a way he's like, well, I kind of get to play catch up. I get this great family. I get three kids and going to get to have my own biological child. And like, I'm really grateful, um, for this family that is now I get to be a part of. And, um, he's always been about family. He's this big, he's a huge family guy. It was actually, I'm kind of shocked and very lucky. I say he was just waiting for me, but like he never did do it before he met me. Um, And he's really embraced Brian's family. like he, he'll reach out to Dave and Donna, like more than I will sometimes. And so, um, and, and all that being said, he, he is also very secure in, in, in himself, right? Like, it's easy, especially, you know, someone like Brian and often like when they die young, die on a pedestal. And although Brian was amazing, he wasn't perfect, but he was, he was pretty great guy. And I actually didn't think I could get lucky twice, but I did. And Mike is a great guy and very secure in and of himself. So, and different than Brian. So, um, yeah, but it is a challenge. It is a challenge. Um, But he's managed it, and I've never felt, and I'm I'm surprised, um, not jealousy of of Brian, Um, maybe sometime a longing for, wishing it was all his, right? Like wishing that he didn't have to deal with it sometimes. Uh, I wish I didn't have to deal with it sometimes. (laughs) You know, you're like, oh, you know, wish we could just, we could have done all this, right? We didn't have to deal with the pain. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's not how life turned out for us. So uh, we deal with what's, what's so and um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, let's talk about your book, Time to Fly, which is obviously about your story. So what part of this journey did you decide to write it? And why? And tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so I shared those stories in the beginning about like the pilot funeral director and the plane and the memorial space. And I would tell people those stories and people were like, oh my God, you gotta write a book. You gotta write a book. You gotta write a book. And there's like a lot more. And so I actually started, I was about to say, I pretended to write a book, which is kind of how it felt for like years. Like I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna write this book. Um, And I'm not, I was not a, I'm not a writer. Like that was not my, gift in in education of a management science background, IT background, finance. And anyway, and here I am pretending to write this book. And but I was supported and people are like, oh my, but people need to hear stories like yours, right? Like people need need to hear these stories. And so anyway, fast forward, I was pregnant with um Zach, and I had met with yet another person to help support me in writing this book. And um, up until that point, I had never asked Mike if he wanted to be in the book. Cause in the beginning I thought the book was just, first I thought the book was about Brian. And then I thought it was just about the grief. And then when I was pregnant, I was like, Oh, this is the whole book. This is the story. Like, and what's crazy, um, and synchronistic and you'll love this spiritually, you know, Brian died on the winter solstice, December 22nd, darkest day of the year. And Zach's birthday was the summer solstice, wow. the longest, brightest day of the year. And when I finally got like this, it's funny when I finished writing the book and I hired a wonderful woman, Christine Fadden to help me write it. And when, when we were done and I was finishing the edits. And I remember talking to my sister, Mary, Mary Kay. And I was, I literally started crying. I was like, Oh my God, Mary Kay, this is the kind of story I wanted to hear when it happened to me. And, um, it wasn't like, you know, my story is not going to be your story. And, um, but you just need stories of hope. Like how the hell did, did she make it out alive? (laughs) Like, how did she create joy and not like, Oh, it's not been all like, you know, roses and unicorns and rainbows, but it's, it's been real. It's been real life, but it's been worth it. Um, And yeah. So inspired to share the story um, um, in that way.
0: Well, I'm so glad that you wrote it. And for anyone who's experienced loss, this is a really great book. When you read about Eileen and how she's moved through such trauma, yet thrives today, it'll give you inspiration and hope. (laughs) That's okay. Knowing that no matter what life throws at you, you can live and love and laugh again. Eileen, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. I'm going to add all of your links to the show notes for the listeners. But before we go, I'd love for you to just please share with my listeners who might be going through a loss right now. What is one thing that they can do today to bring healing to themselves and their blended family?
1: So I would just say, yeah, accept where you are right now, wherever you are is okay. Um, and reach out for support, get support, find, um, find the things that are going to support you in your healing, physically, mentally, all of that. Um, and dream, like want, you know, keep wanting what's next for you. Um, it's okay to want to be happy again. It's okay to want to fall in love again. It's, it's like more than okay. So allow yourself to do that and allow the community and the world and the universe to support you, and um, you're going to be okay.
0: Thank you. That is such great advice. Thank you again for being here. Listeners, support Eileen. Grab the book, Time to Fly. It's wonderfully written and such a beautifully touching story of love, loss, and hope.